Hey y'all, welcome to this week's Pain in the Pod. This week I have Simone, also known as War Baby, from the podcast Murderous Miners. Y'all, this is a really, really neat podcast that I was told about by Jamie Rice of the podcast Murderish. It's all about basically kids who kill and she does it in such a way that you get the story that's on the news and then you get the background story and you get what happens when they go to court and it's short podcast and she's a real interesting person and this is a great conversation. So that will be coming up next, but I want to remind you about Patreon. Doing new stuff on Patreon. I've got once a week, I'm putting out what I'm listening to for the $10 level and I'm doing a once a week Zoom call with the $20-$25 level and that's every Thursday. So that's just some new stuff to look forward to on Patreon, some extra content for y'all. So check it out, patreon.com slash pain in the pod. Now here's Simone. Thanks. Hey y'all, welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today I'm talking with Simone of the podcast Murderous Miners. You probably know her as War Baby. It was Jamie Rice of the podcast Murderish that first told me to listen to Murderous Miners, and I knew it sounded right in my alley when she told me about it. So I was very happy for this recommendation. Y'all, this podcast is great. It really delves into not only the story of you know, kids who kill, but what happened, why it happened, what the consequences were, is the whole story from beginning to end. And of course, the stories are fascinating because you never, when you see these things on TV, of course, you never get the real story. So that's why this podcast is important. So welcome to the show, Simone. Thank you so much, Mary Payne. I'm very happy to be here today. All right, let's talk about your podcast. Now, how long has it been on and when did you first come up with the idea? Well, it's been on since January of 2017, and I'm about to release my 61st episode tomorrow. I've done a number of collaborations and and things like that with some other shows as well, but 61 scripted episodes so far. So this is my third year, and uh, it's going really well. Wow, that's a that, you know three years is like a it's like when you joke about like a Hollywood marriage. If it's more than four years, it's like. 100 years in regular marriage. I mean, three years in podcast time is a real long time. It really is. It really is. And I started out pretty ignorant to what I was doing. I'll just be honest. And I've just learned so much just being in in this industry for the past three years. And I'm really starting to feel comfortable, I would say, after all this time. But it's been such an eye-opening experience. And I love bringing stories to people, stories that they may not have come across already or may not know too much about. I like to bring those to people and just help them understand that a lot of really sad things that happen in this world, you know, you may or may not have been able to foresee it. But if you feel like you were looking out for things being odd in your environment, then that's when a lot of these kinds of things can be stopped. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of that in your podcast. It's a lot of tell the story of what happened, how we may have seen it on the news. And then it's going into the backstory of what happened before. A lot more details than you would get just in a, in a soundbite or even on like a, a, a 2020 or a dateline. It, it seems like yours gives a lot, a lot more depth. So tell me, what is your background? My background that brings me toward podcasting is that um, I like to write. So that was one of the things that drew me toward this. In my regular life, I worked in the aerospace industry for over a decade. And then I went to culinary school and I've been a pastry chef. 
And this was just kind of something that developed as as a hobby. It really just started as a hobby. It was just going to be something that I, I wanted to do so I could have the creative outlet of writing and researching, which is something that I enjoy. And I don't really enjoy the narrating part or the producing part. <laughs> but those are the things you have to do to get the story out. Your background is in the aerospace industry, and you're also a trained pastry chef. Yes. So now, how does that lead you into investigating kids that kill, basically? How does, it how does... doesn't at all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It really has nothing to do with anything that I did in my regular life, other than that I'm a parent. Everyone's life changes when you ha start to have children. But I became a totally different person, and I was scared of things that I was never scared of before and thought about things I never thought of before. And I started noticing when crimes involved children. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, the more heinous stories would come out. And of course, you know, like Columbine. Columbine happened when I was seven months pregnant with my first child. Wow. So it's things like that. Like in the past, there had been school shootings. But not being a parent, you probably relate more to being a peer of the shooter. But once you reach the age where you become a parent, you start seeing it from the parent perspective. So a lot of these really crazy crimes that kids were perpetrating, I really started to take notice of after I had kids. And once I developed an interest in, in podcasts and then true crime podcasts specifically, and I wanted to tell stories myself, I just thought, what is something I haven't really seen portrayed that I feel like I could bring some insight to? So being a parent, I feel as though that makes me an expert to speak on things having to do with children. And that's my right as a woman and yours as well. Yeah. How old are your uh, children? Well, my youngest is 17 and my son just turned 19 last Friday. And my oldest daughter is about to be 21 in June. So... I have a lot of extra time on my hands as well. <laughs> How's the uh, coronavirus homeschooling going? Oh, well, I'm so lucky because we have a great school district here in Arizona that my youngest daughter attends. And they had a pretty smooth transition from spring, spring break over to more distance-based learning. And they're really trying. They're not really expecting too much of the kids. Mm -hmm. So, But we're all, we're all uh, quarantining here together. Five adults picked to live in one house. <laughs> it's, um, we're not having such a smooth transition over here. Our school district is amazing, but my son has like twice tried to log on and then the system was down. And so we're going to start again on Monday. So another week, it's like, I oh, keep joking. Goodness. I'm like, you guys are just getting dumber, but it's okay. It's a joke. I completely agree with what you're saying. I have a 14 and a 17 year old. And what, what you're saying about, Columbine and you being pregnant at that time hits me because when the Sandy Hook shooting happened, oh, yes, it was a bunch of first graders. Mm -hmm. And at the time, my son was in first grade right down the street at our little school that looked just like the little school there in Sandy Hook. I couldn't turn it off. I kept watching it and watching it and watching it because I told my husband, I felt like if I turned it off, I wasn't giving those parents my attention about their child as I would want someone to give me my atten attention about my child. So I couldn't turn it off. I just kept watching. And he was like, this is not great, you know, for your mental state. And it wasn't. And really, I will tell you that after that, I really stopped watching a lot of news because it was so upsetting. 
Yeah. And so some of the stories that you tell, I think those stories I pay more attention to because of being a parent, because I want to know why, like, why? How did this happen? You know? Yeah. Because you feel like a child wakes up one day and say he decides to commit murder. Maybe he's been planning it. And you think, how do you live alongside a child in your home who has these plans and these thoughts and these intentions? And you have no idea, but... It happens all the time, and it happens with adults. Anything that happens with adults and crimes perpetrated by adults obviously can happen in children because they don't have, you know, because they're dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't think things through. That's why yeah. they're a child. Right, right. It's not It's not fully formed there. In the so for people love. to be so surprised when children commit the same kind of crimes adults do who have a fully functioning brain, mm-hmm. right. I think it's kind of more... Expect it's more to be expected that children would be running around crazy, stabbing people, not adults, you know. So, right, I still get emails from I would say first time or listeners who haven't been around too long who are just shocked and appalled that these things even happen. And I'm like, pay attention, especially if there's any kids in your own life. See, that's the biggest thing to me is that I have my kids. But they have their friends and they have their cousins and their cousins have friends and their cousins have boyfriends. And you don't understand how many children you you come in contact with in your regular life. And sometimes one of those kids might be acting weird and you just brush it off. But later, so many people say, when I saw this child this time, he acted this way and I should have asked him what was wrong. But you're just too wrapped up in your own life. But... If we're ever going to help these widespread societal acts of violence come to an end, it actually takes work by everyone and it doesn't involve taking away guns. Right. I wish it did. Right, right, but right, right. that's literally that's not at all the issue when it comes to these things. Well, speaking of guns, so you had an episode that just that just went into my mind that I listened to and it was a boy is in it was in Great Britain. I don't know if it was in London, but the boy that with the the stabbed teacher. Yes, in Leeds, England. And yes, and he had told everybody, including his parents, including like the principal and the counselor and the teacher herself and, and like everybody that not only was he, you know, he was going to kill, he wanted to kill a pregnant person and he wanted to kill this teacher. And the parents said that at some point his he snapped because he found out he had diabetes, which would make him ineligible to, go, I guess, go to the Royal Naval Academy or right. whatever he wanted. So, so a normal thinking person just being told you have something and maybe you can't do this maybe you would come up especially being so young you would think that that wouldn't make somebody just completely turn it go on this murderous rampage obviously something was going on with him before and that just spurred it but that episode to me was so i hadn't heard that story first off and it was so shocking to me the amount of people the kids and the adults that said oh yeah he's been saying for a long time he's going to kill this teacher His mother even called and warned her, you know, don't be alone with him. You know what I noticed in researching that story? And I don't often cover a lot of stories that take place outside of our country because I have limited availability of information. And my episodes are so short already because when you're dealing with juveniles, they don't often release every single detail of what happens with their cases. So I'm really working with limited information. Right. But I noticed the Leeds, England story, what they seemed to share there from what I could tell from the quotes from the judges and the lawyers and the police officers and really everyone except the victim's husband 
is they really put emphasis on personal responsibility. It's very different from here. Here, we look for someone to blame, per se. We want to find the reason. Mm -hmm. There, it seemed like the best reason for them was because he chose to do it. And there's really nothing you can do about something that someone else has already chosen to do. You can't stop someone from doing what someone's going to do. was really their attitude about this situation. And I don't know if that's because it's easier, but it seems to be something embraced. That just seems to be something embraced by many of the people that spoke about this story was that if he had put his mind to do something, there wasn't anything I would be. I might have been able to stop it that morning, but at some point he would have done it. Right. He definitely had his mindset to it and he definitely told lots of people and then, you know, they were like, well, maybe he was telling so many people because he wanted somebody to stop him. Right. Like it's it's a lot of times like with kids, like they will bulk against you, but it's because they want to be on a schedule. They want you to give them the discipline. Um, and so it seems like in that story, a lot of people are like, well, he told a lot of people and nobody did anything about it. So that's what happened. I was like. No, I mean, if his parents knew, yeah, if his his parents had knowledge that he had a grudge against a teacher whom he actually threatened, unfortunately, I, I, I hate to say this because I don't like to give my opinion. This is not about what I think. Right. But ultimately, I always feel a lot of the blame falls back on what parents didn't do. Yes. Well, in that case, especially, I felt. Not all, not all the cases you cover are like that. Definitely because, I mean, not. Sometimes the parents are the victims. I mean. Exactly. But yeah, I did feel in that case, I was like, wow. I mean, it just really shocked me. And I guess because also we don't hear a lot of stories from other countries with so much like school shootings and things that we have here. Right. Because gun violence, you know, isn't as, as rampant there as it is here, which is why his weapon of choice was a knife that he had no problem bringing into school and showing people. Okay, well, on that terrible note, we're going we're gonna to take a little break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, I'm back with Simone, a.k.a. War Baby, of the podcast Murderous Minors. We were just talking about this uh, case in England. Where do you find the stories? Because some I've seen in your podcast I have heard and then some I've never heard of. So where do you find the stories? A lot of the stories that I find through alerts, news alerts, you know, I have a lot of news alerts set up for things having to do with juvenile justice and when a crime is committed by a minor. I get a lot of updates that way. And, you know, really, that's probably my biggest resource. I try not to seek things out. I try not to look at, you know, Wikipedia lists or things like that. I try to be a little bit more organic and um, usually through the news, through newspapers. I have I subscribe to so many um, newspapers throughout the entire country, and they all do a really good job of reporting when things like this happen, and I'm really able to start reporting pretty quickly when something takes place. I do like to cover stories from beginning to end, but it's really hard when this topic is evolving daily. You can check daily every other day, and there's been 
murder somehow or, you know, homicide somehow committed by a minor in various kinds of ways, accidental, planned, all kinds of different ways. So it's really a topic that I have endless amount of content that I can write about. And my biggest my biggest obstacle to getting the story out, I would say, is probably access to information. Because with juvenile cases, you know, like I said, they don't make a whole lot public or a whole lot available to you. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because is it different for juveniles like per state as to if you're 14 and you commit a crime that could have been committed by somebody over the age of 18? If it's murder, then it's your sentence this way. If it's if it's homicide, you know, manslaughter is this way. Is every state different or is it the same across the board? Absolutely. Every state is so very different. And I feel like juvenile justice and prison reform, those are topics might be getting too political, but those are topics that should have some type of federal regulatory board to make things just the same in each state, because you can cross a state line and be eligible for life without parole in certain circumstances now, you know, as opposed to manslaughter charge in another state. And the story I'm going to release tomorrow involves a boy who committed murder at 14 years old in the state of Wisconsin. (sighs) And in the state of Wisconsin, if you commit a murder between the ages of 10 and 16, you automatically begin in adult court and you have to try to get your case sent back to juvenile court. Whereas in a lot of states, it's the other way around. A lot of states, you start in juvenile court and the prosecutor will try to wave you up to adult court. But in Wisconsin, I noticed it's the other way. Mm. So it's very different. 10 to 16, you automatically begin in adult court in Wisconsin if you if you committed murder. So and if you want to try to get tried in juvenile court, say you really need mental health rehabilitation. And you're not going to get that in adult prison as a 13-year-old, you know, so your lawyer can appeal to the judge to send you back to juvenile court. But in the case I'm going to have tomorrow, the judge didn't do that. She said that doing so would diminish the the crimes that he committed were just so terrible to send him down to juvenile court. it, It wouldn't do it any justice for the victim or the victim's family. For the people that died. Well, it's, it's really interesting you're saying this about the age in the various states, because I listen to um, Ear Hustle. Do you listen to Ear Hustle? Yes, absolutely. Uh, of course. So everyone loves Ear Hustle. So it's interesting when they've talked to some of the inmates, and I don't know how many zillions of episodes ago this was, but they were saying, basically, when you go, they'll say, okay, I, you know, because they never say why they're in prison or, you know, which I think is a, a great part of that podcast. You're getting to know the people without knowing what their crime is, and like one guy said, you know, you are basically the age, even if you're 36, but you came in prison when you're 17, you're really still 17. Like you never really grow past that. And I've heard that on other TV shows and reality shows and things that I've watched, like Love After Lockup and stuff. They'll say, you know, he went in prison when he's 15. Well, now he's 25. But really, he's 15 because he hasn't lived outside the prison in, since he was 15. It's like a lot of these people are now like fully grown adults, but they never had like a real relationship with a woman or haven't had a real relationship with a parent or a friend or anything that wasn't in prison. So you think about those kids, say for the one you're talking about tomorrow at age 14, let's say he goes into the prison system at age, by the time it's all done, 16, then he's really kind of always 16. 
even if he gets out of prison when he's 50. You know, I mean, it's it's so hard to think about notwithstanding the people that he killed or the murders or the victims, all that. Just think about that person and what led that 14-year-old to do something so terrible. Right. And I mean, of course, you know, I spend as much time as I possibly can talking about the victim. I'm also not trying to put their families out there, everyone's names out there, but I do want you to know what the victim was like. But the fact of the matter is, is when these stories are over, we generally have children in prison. What are we going to do with them when they grow up? Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to touch upon some of the Supreme Court legislation that's been leading to kids getting resentenced. Mm-hmm. About a year ago, I did an interview with a guy that lives here who had been given a life without parole sentence at 16 in the state of Michigan. And then once these Supreme Court rulings came down, he was one of the first to be released. So he came out of prison after 30 years and 30 years of thinking that he was going to be in prison his whole life. And so he happened to move to town near me and I saw a magazine article about him. So I I talked to him on a regular basis and he's doing really well. But as I'm looking at these stories of what got the laws changed, I was looking at Montgomery versus the state of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So kids can't, juveniles can't get the death penalty anymore. Juveniles can't get life without parole anymore across the board in the whole nation, um, Mm. unless it's a pretty extreme circumstance. So he's about 72 now, and he's been in prison since he was 16 years old. Oh my gosh. But he's gone in front of the parole board so many times and they tell him they're not going to release him because because they don't feel like he put in the effort to be rehabilitated. Mm, But they don't realize for the first 40 years of his sentence, they don't take into account that life without lifers, you know, you don't have you didn't have access to programs. So for the first 40 years, he didn't do anything because he didn't have access to anything. I mean, 40 years. I mean, that's such a huge amount of time. It's ridiculous. And so... Now they hold it against him as an elderly man that he didn't try to rehabilitate himself, but he he didn't have access. So it's really a catch-22. What you do with these people when 25, 30, 40 years have still passed and they're still in prison? I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I don't have an opinion really or an answer, but it's something that we need to think about when we're sentencing these kids because sending them to adult prison is not really going to help further develop their brain in a positive way that's going to benefit society in the future. Right. Oh, my God. It's such a domino effect, right? It's this kid does this thing, and then you look at your 30, 40 years down the line, and you still have a person that your state is paying to house and imprison, and is there a way they could have been rehabilitated and gotten the help they needed or... Yeah, I don't know. There isn't. I I don't really think that an effective way to rehabilitate juvenile criminals really exists in this country. You know, there's some places that have decent juvenile facilities, but since it's a state, city, county-wide, you know, type of funding issues, it's, it's just not the same through every state. So some states don't even have a place to house female juvenile prisoners who get you know, 20 or more years, and then they have to send you to another state, then your family can't visit you, right? you know, and it's just a whole bunch of different things that not one law or not one change of something is going to fix. It needs to be um, a systemic 
restructuring that maybe we'll we'll get when the new world begins you know when this new the new post coronavirus world starts to rebuild maybe we'll start thinking about some of these things when you said new world i was like oh you mean like in 2022 when we're all able to leave our homes again yeah that's Um, what i heard oh god as you do all this research over 61 episodes do you see any consistent themes I'm sure there's more than one, but what are some consistent themes you see with in these kids' lives? Well, you know, you meant you mentioned diabetes. Now, th- and, and this is crazy because I have in, inadvertently had three or four episodes where the kids had diabetes. Hmm. I think it's been three episodes where the the child that committed the crime had received a type one diabetes diagnosis prior to them committing this crime which I thought was so interesting because one of my kids has type 1 diabetes. Okay. I just thought it was very interesting to research and write about this from the perspective of somebody who has to live that life. Okay. But I don't think it has anything to do with it. I, I think statistically, some kids have diabetes and some commit murder, and that is going <laughs> to intersect, you know. But I have seen, you know, many children on antidepressants. But... That really just points to the fact that they had mental status issue prior to them committing the murder, the fact that they're even on medication. So I don't I would never say that the medication had anything to do with it either. But being on medication is, you know, the effect of the cause being you had something that made you go to the doctor and the doctor said you needed to take Prozac. So, right. Can't really say that it's that. But some of the other issues is. I've seen many boys who were separated from their mom throughout their childhoods, Mm. you know, for whatever reason, maybe they lived in another country or they had to send the child to live with their dad or live with another family member. I've read about several boys who've mentioned specifically that not having their mom in their lives throughout their childhood was something that made them feel lost, you know, and gave them something lacking in their ability to connect with other people. Wow. You see a lot, um, and this happened here recently, where it was a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, and the boyfriend takes it upon himself to like kill the girl's whole family because she's complaining about her parents won't let them be together. And you see that sometimes, and you're like, where's the... And again, like you say with adults, like you can't figure out why adults would do that, so much less why kids would do it. Like, But it seems like I just heard one of your episodes that was that story where it's like, he just thought he was taken up for his girlfriend, right? Like she had mentioned how terrible her parents were. So I'm going to go take them all out and then she and I can be together. You know, young love and the brain's not formed and, you know. Well, you have the the lovers who, who somebody kills the girlfriend's parents say. I don't know how much I trust the girlfriend's point of view. Sure. With, you know, really, to be honest. But when you have the boyfriend that kills the girlfriend... Mm. That just goes to show that domestic violence, you know, probably a learned trait. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, that kind of aggression just coming out against a partner without that having been something that was seen before. Yes. People just don't want to realize that domestic violence and coercive control, those types of relationship issues, they begin as soon as they can, honestly. As soon as right. they can. I saw I saw a story about a 13-year-old boy who shot his 12-year-old girlfriend in the head because she told them, she told him she was pregnant. 
but they'd never even had sex and they didn't even really realize what sex was. But oh my she, gosh. Yes, is terrible. And I mean, that's literally all the information I have. So I can't really make a whole episode about it. But these are the kinds of things I read about all the time. You just did a story similar to that here where I am in Alexandria, Virginia, where the boyfriend killed the girlfriend, the one where he said they were going off to a college party. And she had the twin sister. This was very literally half a mile from my house. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because there's here where we are, there's two high schools. There's West Potomac and Mount Vernon. And everybody we know, you know, is in the same three zip codes and goes to one of those. And Mount Vernon High School is the is the other high school where my kids know plenty of people that go there. And they knew plenty of people that knew that girl. Mm. I mean, and that was awful. And that whole thing was, you know. Was that uh, Danny? Was that Danielle? I can't remember. Their name. It was twin sisters. Oh, you know what? That was Jolie Musa. Was yes. I, yeah, I believe that was Jolie Musa. And I have lots of twins in my family. The yeah. two sisters had never been apart more than like 24 hours, and the girl was gone like two days. Yeah, he convinced her to go over to that creek. Right, and then yeah. also he had said that, they, but sh- then he had her phone. It was saying they were going to a party at like Old Dominion University yeah. or something. And the sister was like, she's not going with anybody over to a college party. I don't know. The whole thing was terrible. And here's how you it makes you realize that how can you not think that kids brains are underdeveloped at this age? Because he she said she was pregnant. He wanted her to take a pregnancy test in front of him. She wasn't pregnant. He didn't realize he didn't know she wasn't pregnant at the time. He wanted her to take the test, but they didn't get that far before he murdered her. Mm -hmm. But why would he think that murdering her is going to be an easier way for him to go to the military with his buddy after they graduate high school than just having a baby. Like right. If you murder someone, you're going to go no, go to prison and you're not going to be able to go to the military. Whereas if you have a baby, you still can. That's, right. how, that's how you know kids aren't really got it all up there. You know, sometimes they do, but not in the ways that are always important. Right. It's not this step goes to the this reasoning. step. It's, it's like... I'm so mad and I'm going to get rid of the problem. And it makes no sense. But that story was so heartbreaking here locally because there was, you know, flyers up everywhere and it was constantly on the news and constantly in my patch feed and my local. Yeah, and they're feed. messing with her poor father because he hit his eye on the door and did an interview and then everyone's pointing fingers at him. And I mean, right. it was oh, yeah. not him. It most Terrible. definitely was not him. Well, that was just a local story that just came to mind. I've listened to so many of your podcasts. And when you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting with these with these kids and, and you saying with the mother and stuff. And I think some of the other themes are, and this leads more towards um, more like some inner city issues where the kids have no dad, no father figure, and they join into gangs or groups because they feel that this is a sense of belonging. Right. It's their community. That's how they live their lives there. I don't cover tons of stories like that because, well, mainly because I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, but when it comes to mass national reporting, I'm not going to be able to find a ton of information because they're they're pretty local, you know? Yeah, yeah. In order for me to get enough information, you know, a story has to really hit national or it has to really rock a small community, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I'm able to get enough information because I don't, I really don't like contacting anyone because I'm not trying to get dirty little tidbits from your life. I'm just trying right. to condense all the news coverage into 
a small enough tidbit that you can absorb it without being traumatized afterward because I don't really think we need an hour, an hour and 20 minutes talking about kids killing. It's just too sad. 20, 30 minutes, get it over with and you know that you, you hear everything you need to hear, but you don't need to dwell on the really sour aspects, you know. Well, that that is what I will say. You do a great job of, of, like I've said, like tell the whole story. Here's what happened on this day. This happened. Here's why. Let's go back. Let's talk about the day it happened. And then let's afterwards. And I think the afterwards is also so interesting when you find out all the people that said, I did think this or the kid was a little off or whatever, or kid, or people that knew nothing. And then what happens to them in the system if they're treated as an adult, if they're treated as a kid, depending on where they live and how severe their crime was. And it could be totally different than a 14 a year old that came through that same system the day before and committed a similar crime. It could be treated totally differently. So all the aspects of it are so interesting. And one of my questions I had here for you, but I think you already answered is, is, is why do we think these stories are so compelling? And I think that you hit it on the head. It's, it's the parental aspect of it is so compelling because you think there, but for the grace of God, go, I like, you know, my kid could be on a, a medication and I couldn't, I would not know that something happened. I mean, you know what I mean? You just think like you hope that you would always be on the lookout for what your kid's doing or the other kid's doing or their best friend. But sometimes you just may not know a kid that's been to your house 20 times. You may not know them at all. It's a lot to take in as a parent, you know? It really is. And I've been lucky because my kids have always had, you know, just one or two really close friends that come to the house. So I'm able to know the kids, you know, but you don't know what happens when your kid goes to their house. You don't know right. how many unsecured firearms they have and you don't know what kind of opioids they have in the downstairs medicine cabinet. You don't know any of these things, you know, and all you can really do is try to be observant and try to when my son started getting older and he would get in a car and go with his friends, I would just be like, just make sure nobody's drinking. I mean, luckily they're nerds. So like I, they're going to GameStop, you know, to get yeah. like Korean barbecue, but make sure no one's drinking, make sure nobody pulls out a gun. And I would tell him if somebody pulls out a gun at this sleepover bail, I don't care if you have to start walking home and call me on just don't be anywhere near it because accidents happen. But when you pull out a firearm, it's not an accident. You mm-hmm. you had intent to mess around. You maybe didn't have intent to kill someone, but you had intent to do something you weren't supposed to be doing. So I, I think these stories should appeal to everyone, even if you're not a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle or teacher or pediatrician or anything like that, because you you still have eyes and there's still kids in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family, even if kids don't live with you. And sometimes just being the adult that kids can talk to can make a lot of difference. Kids need adults that they're not directly related to and have to live to to talk to. Yes. You know, that's one of the times when they can really freely be themselves. You know, I try not to get offended when my daughter's like, Abby's mom was the first, you know, I used to talk to her mom for hours, but it's good. You need other people's perspectives. And I. I just wish that people would take more kids seriously. Kids are throwaway commodities in this country. We literally throw children in the trash. You know, like people find children's bodies in the garbage. People don't care about children. We act like we do. But ultimately, we don't act in their best interest all the time. And for the most part, I just feel like if we treated kids with a little bit more respect, perhaps... They would do the same for us and for society. You know, a lot of kids just have an F all attitude. 
because they don't get any kind of genuine caring of them as a person, you know, which sounds so cheesy. No, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I try to be that a lot here, you know, for my kids. I like, they're always like, uh, you know, family dinners and, uh, you know, our, our family's always like so nerdy. And especially now we're all stuck in here together. I'm like, <laughs> aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we're so like crazy and nerdy? Because what if you're stuck in here with somebody that was like a somebody you didn't get along with? Because at least we're That's all. That's the first thing my 17 year old said to me when she found out school wasn't going back to back in session. Well, after she you know, did a dance routine and cartwheels and screamed at the top of her lungs and things like that. But she just thought, man, I feel bad for kids whose parents are drug addicts or parents are alcoholics. And those kids who do everything to spend every moment outside of their house and only come home to eat and go to sleep, you know, now they're all trapped in there together. And she really thought about that. And I didn't because I don't go to school. I don't see kids from all different kinds of households anymore, you know? Yeah. So it didn't even cross my mind. I did think a lot about those kids or people that are stuck in you know domestic abuse situations in this time and unsafe well, I was homes. So, yeah, I was I was thinking about um, the kids that rely on the the school breakfast and lunch and our school right away like right when things started happening like the next day they started Fairfax County where we are is huge mm-hmm. so they they did like first like six schools and then they expanded to 20 and then to like 30 schools where people could go and pick up. And they said for anyone in the community uh, community under the age of 18 can pick up breakfast and lunch over the age of 18 is like $2. And this is for anybody, not even going to school. So I was very happy. And then what our school started doing was delivering the meals every day on the bus routes. Are they still doing that? Yep, they are. And so at least in my mind, you know, just totally, we're totally off the subject now, but in my mind, at least for these kids that are in these bad situations, at least they know once or twice a day, they can go out to their bus stop and maybe they'll see somebody there they, you know, haven't gotten to see because they're stuck inside and they're getting their their food. And so I'm kind of like, that's at least a bright light. And some of these kids that are getting these free laptops to use yeah, didn't have access to them before. I don't know. I, I keep trying to um, find the good, you know, in the bad situation because it's uh, for the kids that are stuck with. Like you said, there's there's plenty of kids that come to our house that are just like, ugh, I don't want to be home. So I'm just going to hang out at your house until after dinner and then I'll go home. Which is crazy to me because I love to be home. I don't want to hang out anywhere else. Well, that's how it used to be. Who knows how I'll be after this is over. It's always it's always crazy to me, those kids who don't ever want to go home and, you know, you just kind of laugh about it. You don't really think about why they don't want to go home. Right. But all, uh, all we can do is hope for the best. I mean, I haven't heard anything too crazy coming out of my community so far, but we're only on, you know, we're not on shelter in place or anything. We're just on regular lockdown. So, yeah, we're shelter in place until like June. Now, whether or not they lift it or they move it, it's, that's a whole nother like circular question. We just go in a circle. What about this? And then what about this? And then we go forwards and then we go backwards. So we can't even talk about make ourselves crazy. Okay, on that fun note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. 
It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I'm back here with Simone, also known as War Baby, from the podcast Murderous Miners. Let me ask you this. Why, this is just totally random, why is your Twitter and stuff called Killer Kids and not Murderous Miners? Oh, too many letters. <laughs> oh, because, you know, originally it's Murderous Miners, uh-huh. Killer Kids is the full title. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, I started kind of trimming it down a little bit just because it's a mouthful. So yeah. so I, I kind of have, and that way no one else steals Killer Kids. So, Okay. Who does, at the beginning of your podcast, there's a little voice that says, don't be scared. Who is that? It's Jamie Rice's daughter, Stevie, of course. Oh, that's so She's my little pumpkin unicorn. And so, yeah, she did that for me. They had a charming recording session last year, and it it was adorable. And I, I edited that together. So, yeah, she's that creepy one. She's the one creeping you out at the beginning. Of course, it's Jamie's daughter. Baby murderish. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So in your in your time of podcasting, and you and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, what do you think has been a, a, a change or something surprising that's come your way in the last three? I mean, three years is a long time for you to be doing it from when you started to like my friend Aaron says, when we start a podcast, we're building the plane as we fly it. Like you just like absolutely the together and, and making sure the wheels don't fall off. So what has been something that's like really surprised you or made you so happy as you've been gone, gone along this podcast journey? Well, you know, making real friends and then meeting them in real life and actually repeatedly spending time with people I've met through doing this. It's probably the one thing that I didn't really expect to happen. When I started, there had CrimeCon, the first year of CrimeCon had just only just taken place. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea what that was going to blow up into and how that was going to end up being. But just having the opportunity to travel, make money, never expected to do that. And I definitely never expected to have people tell me that, what I said touched them or what I said really made them think. I mean, that's ultimately the best feeling that I can get. I don't like to shove, I'm not trying to shove my opinions down your throat, but I do like when people tell me that, you know, they were able to get a full story and a full grasp of something they never even thought of before. You know, that's something I wasn't really sure would happen because I look at this more of an, you know, entertainment, educational, I guess, type of situation but it's more it's more news bites you know to me it's just more news bites because it's pretty straightforward reporting from um, the information that I can find so but making real friends making actual friends Erica Kelly and I when we were at CrimeCon in New Orleans last year we went to the Museum of Death with Jamie and Aaron (sighs) from the Generation Y podcast oh my gosh this is like my dream team I wish I was there we just have so (laughs) much fun when we get together and um so that's really been 
the greatest part. I'm a total introvert, so I thought any hobby I can do from inside my closet where nobody, you know, can see me is the best for me. So I never really thought I would be attending conventions in this way before, you know, so it really has got me out of my comfort zone a lot. Oh my gosh. I, 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 every time somebody talks about crime com, I'm so jealous. And I don't know if it'll happen this year or not, but for sure next year, I'm going to try to go. I have no, I have literally no reason to go. I just go as a fan and like talk to high five all my podcasters in their booths as I go by, I guess. It's so I, much I just, fun to go as a fan. And it's always hard for me to decide if I'm going to go as a fan or if I'm going to stand on podcast row. You know, this year I plan to go as a fan. And then at the last minute, I was like, no, I don't know what I want to do. Because you know, you you stand out there to meet the fans, and you literally don't get to do any of the sessions, you don't get to do any of the breakouts, you don't get to hear anything or Mm. attend any of those. So it's really a toss up how you're going to spend your time when you're at crime con. But I would just go and run around and be excited to meet people that I've like talked to like you, like, like face to face, air quotes, face to face. But then I'd be so happy to like meet some, I get so excited to meet people in person, you know? Oh yeah. And then you turn around and Nancy Grace is there. Oh my gosh. You know, it's really how it is. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty fun time. So fingers crossed for Halloween weekend. That's when they rescheduled it too, but we'll see. We'll see what oh, they the, did. They moved it to October because the last I heard it was still July. So it's it's October. Yeah, they moved it to the weekend of Halloween. I guess Halloween gonna, is going to fall on a Saturday this year. So it's from oh. like the 30th to the 1st or 2nd, something like that. So it's in Florida, right? Yeah, in, in Orlando. So we'll see right. if they're ready for tourists by then. Fingers oh. crossed. Could go either way. So, you know, when I talk to podcasters, like I was saying, I, I love to find out what they're listening to. And it always it always surprises me. A true crime podcaster could go either way, like they only listen to true crime or they listen to no true crime. So tell me what you're listening to. And let's let's see where you fall on the spectrum. Well, there's a difference between what you subscribe to and what you listen to. Because okay. I, I subscribe to every person I know's podcast. So yeah. my cue is always huge. But if I'm going to be honest, I don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts at all, mainly because I don't I don't want my reporting style to be reflective of things that I hear. Right. So I, I, I stay up to date on what everyone's doing. I don't listen a ton because I have the tendency to start to mimic people. Sometimes I in my head when I'm talking, I hear Andrea from Dateline. The way she ends her sentences, I love it. And I find myself trying to talk like her. So I don't (laughs) listen to a lot of true crime podcasts because I don't want to inadvertently absorb other people's. That's how just I am. I'm a mimicker. I can absorb other people's the way they talk and their mannerisms. So I try not to do that. But the minds of madness, murderish, Generation Y, true true crime garage, Southern Fried True Crime. There's just so many great true crime podcasts. But I like to listen to serialized podcasts and podcasts that don't have anything to do with true crime. Well, um, I do love Case File. I do listen to Case File all the time. I don't think I'll ever talk like Case File hosts, so I think I'm okay there. Uh, I love this podcast from Audio Boom called Covert. Uh, I am War Baby, so... 50% of my life is military things. My parents met during the Vietnam War. My two older siblings were born in Vietnam before they moved here. So that's where I I get that nickname from. But 
yeah, so really big into aviation and, and things like that. So, so I, I do listen to Covert. is hosted by a fellow named Jamie Reynolds. He's awesome. It was what's Covert about? It's about covert, covert missions. Yeah, about about military operations. Okay. Yeah, like famous ones throughout history. So okay, pretty interesting. And I like Wondery has one called American Scandal. I really love podcasts about business and about politics as well. Um, yeah. There's one called Business Wars and Legal Wars on Parcast. Those are those are great as well. So yeah, I like politics. Uh, Pod Save America. I, I listen to a lot of stuff like that. I don't have a lot of time to read non-true crime news. I try to stay up on the news every single day, but a, a lot of my information I get from from podcasts when it comes to politics. Me too. I hear a lot of podcasters more so now saying that they listen to the daily, but I'm more pick and choose with the daily because like I said, I find myself being very weighed down by the real news of the world. And even the other day I had on CNN as a background filler, I was doing something else because my husband wasn't around. Yeah. He was back in the office. When he's around, he's like, please turn it off because he works in government affairs. He's like, I don't want to hear another second of it. Oh, my husband's a government contractor, too. It's tough on them. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to hear one word. So I had it on just listening. And my son is 14. He's the sweetest, you know, sweetest baby angel in the world. He comes in the room and was like, what? The country's going to be closed down to 2022? What? And I was like, turn it off. Turn it off. You know, like, this is why we can't watch it. It's too much. It's too heavy. It's too big weighing down on us. Let's just let's just keep it high level. Let's just keep it sound bites. Let's don't bog the kids down with this like, you know, and so I find myself with the daily when it's something about Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein or something like that. I'll listen. But if it's about this COVID yeah. stuff, unless it affects me directly of what I should be doing in my day to day life to keep me and my family safe. I don't listen because it's too it's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Right. The first 30 days of quarantine, I do have to say. So my sister got married on March 14th. So my ber- my my daughter's birthday was the 10th. My birthday was March 11th. <gasps> my we daughter's s- birthday is the 11th. Oh, that's my birthday. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that was the day that they declared it a pandemic was on yep. our birthday. So mm-hmm. my sister was getting married that Saturday and we barely squeaked that wedding out by Sunday they were saying no mass gatherings anymore so so we barely squeaked that out so for the first month of quarantine I was in the news knee deep in the news I want to know what's going on but now I I think I'm taking I'm in a month off maybe I'll cycle on a month-to-month basis how much news I need because now it's just any kind of story they could put out there to be a story and yes I, I just want the interesting things I just want the interesting things yeah, I saw today that the actor Brian Dennehy had passed away. Oh, at age I didn't eight. even know that. Yeah, at 81, and he just, you know, died of natural causes. And his family put out a statement, you know, we've lost him and he died of natural causes. The family had to say not COVID related. Right. Because we don't need to be more angry at the virus than we already are for right. taking and, all the greats, you know? Yeah. And I think, like, Wow, like that story of what that great actor that's been in everything we've ever heard of is kind of going to skate by where really I would like to have a day or two of talking about the films he's been in. And right. It's it's really the time we're in is, is a real interesting time. And I think it's a real interesting time to be a podcaster as well, because I see my numbers going up as far as people that are subscribing to Patreon and listening. And I and I 
attribute that to having more time or saying like, hey, there's that podcast I wanted to listen to, but I never have time. But now I'm just cleaning up my bathroom cabinets. I've got time, you know. So I think it's maybe maybe it's a great time to be a podcaster. That's another positive thing. We can- it's always a great time to be a podcaster. <laughs> but yes, definitely now. And I think at first, initially, a lot of people were concerned about losing the commute time. You know, many, many right. people use their commute time, especially for the more heinous and grisly you know, detailed podcasts that have to do with true crime. They don't want to have that going in their office while people are coming in and out. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I haven't really seen that to be the case. My numbers dip and, you know, around the holidays, I saw a dip in my show numbers and I thought, I mean, that's to be understood. I can understand that. I don't know if I would want to listen to my show on Christmas. You know what I mean? So, so it's, it's, it comes and goes, but I think it's pretty amazing that we can leave you know, our footprint behind with the content that we're creating. And I just wish, you know, people would be a little bit more appreciative of the free content that we hustle out for them and not be so hard on us, you know? And it's like, excuse me for giving you free entertainment. Let me apologize in advance for entertaining you. That's what we say. I have another podcast I do with a friend named Aaron Martin. And we say that sometimes we're like, well, it's free. Like, you know, we're just doing our yeah, best. Like, what it's do you free. want from yeah, me, yeah. you know? It's free. It's not free for us. It's free. It's exactly. free for the people that are listening. And I um, a lot of times think that, too, if people will leave a negative comment on someone else's podcast about the sound or this or that, and I'm like, you know, why? Why do that? Like, just keep going. Like, don't say anything. Just don't listen to it again. Like, what's the point of going and leaving something so negative you know, like it's somebody- because your life sucks already. That's what the oh. point is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Their life is already terrible. So now they have to try to bring us down. I always want to reply with, I challenge you to a head to head podcast off. But until they give us that, you know, ability to reply there, I don't I haven't been able to really say it yet. So I'll let you know if I ever get one scheduled. Please do. <laughs> we'll be on horses and everything. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll come to Arizona for that. Exactly. I'll stream it. Don't worry. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's so funny. I, I love when uh, you get podcasts talking about it's free. It's free. Don't forget. Podcast is free. That's whenever I try to tell my parents or their friends and they'll go, I don't have that app on my phone. I can't listen. I can't pay for it. I'm like, you do have it on your phone. You don't have a choice. It's on your phone. It's one of those ones you can't delete. Let me show you. And they're like, I don't want to. Did you put my credit card in? I don't want to pay for it. I'm like, you're not paying for it. It is free. Whenever I see my parents, just like, give me your phone. Do, do, do. Subscribe. Like exactly. Never listen to it. But exactly. I got to subscribe. Let me, leave, let me leave myself a review real quick. <laughs> Five stars. Yeah, I love this show. (laughs) So talented. too. Oh, my God. Listen, thank you so much. I'm so glad that Jamie told me about you. Because, like I said, I'm always pumped when I hear of something I haven't heard of that I know is coming from a reliable source. And so (laughs) Jamie, being a reliable source, told me about you. And I'll tell you, when I um, recorded with Jamie, she had the biggest microphone me or my producer has ever seen. It was like as big as her head. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen the beast. I was like, where can I get one of those? She was like, oh, look, it's like a thing that I put over. And that's one of the things I I remember talking about her was I need to get back in touch with her and get that because like my microphone is feeling pretty, uh, pretty sad right about now compared to that giant thing. Well, I'm glad to know now that it was Jamie's daughter. That was uh, isn't that that the best? That's so funny. Jamie's ears are probably wherever she is, is like burning. 
I was uh, going to have my niece do it, but out of respect for my brother-in-law, I didn't ask her to say any of those things. <laughs> but another true, crime, another true crime podcaster's kid is the perfect, you know, they're already in that environment, you know. So oh it's, not, it's not weird to say things like that. <laughs> have a child repeat things like that when you're a true crime <laughs> podcaster as well. So I love it. Well, now she's figured the out star that of the show. Yeah, that was one of my uh, that was one of my first questions on my list here. Who is the creepy voice in your intro? Oh, it's so funny. Listen, thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. And I'm going to encourage everyone to go and listen to Murderous Minors. And you can find it on everywhere. Killer Kids, you tell us how to find it. Oh, you can find it anywhere that you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, even from the web on Spreaker. Um, I'm starting oh. a live stream tonight on Get Vocal. If anyone has that app, you can stream with me um, at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern. So, Get Vocal. All right. V O K L. Cool. Yeah. So that'll be pretty interesting. Get Vocal. V O K L. Yeah. Never heard of this. It's, it's a super, it's a new app and it's kind of like. It's a streaming platform for podcasts. So they started a true crime block tonight. Uh Morph from criminology and missing persons and murder in my family. He has a stream. Robin Warder from The Trail Runs Cold. Yeah, love Um, him. Lainey from True Crime Fan Club. They'll all be there as well. And a couple of others. They're adding new people literally every day. So pretty exciting. Okay, I'm going to look into that. All right, thank you so much. And uh, again, everybody go check out Murderous Minors with War Baby. Thank you, Mary Payne. Thank you. Bye.